0: Today we continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. So last week we entered into spiritual basic training as we began to dig into our training manual, Paul's letter to the the church at Ephesus. And in the first three verses of that letter, we discovered that God has set his followers apart for salvation, for service, as well as for spiritual Blessings. So you remember last week we said that verse 3 was the beginning of one long sentence that ends in verse 14. Even though there are, um, uh, there, there are full stops there in the English, in the Greek, it is one long sentence. And in those 12 verses, Paul is describing for us many of those spiritual blessings that God has provided for us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at just three verses that describe some of those blessings. Today, we're going to be looking at verse 4 to verse 6 from Ephesians chapter 1. So please stand with me as we read those verses. Uh, to, again, we're going to be reading the context. So I'll be reading to verse 14, but we will be studying verse 4 to verse 6 this afternoon. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 14. as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and in sight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory let's pray lord again we ask that you would please teach us your spirit lord would open our ears would open our eyes would open our hearts to your word today lord that we won't just be the hearers of your word but that we would be the doers as well And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would give us insight here today. Lord, that we would put aside uh, worldly wisdom, human understanding, and that your Spirit would teach us and help us understand this very tough section that we are going to deal with today. But Lord, we trust you and your word, and that's why we teach verse by verse. And we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would do a wonderful work amongst us today to understand your blessing and to feel the joy and the comfort that comes with being saved by grace. So we ask for your help today. I pray for your help for me, Lord, um, as I teach. May none of my words fall to the ground. And We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Today we are going to see Paul the Apostle drawing our attention to a biblical teaching called election or God's choosing of His people. I know this can be a topic that is debated and many different views, but I want to draw your attention to verse 4 that this teaching is the first blessing that Paul starts with. Remember, this is now a list of the spiritual blessings that Paul is going to give to us. And the first one that he starts with is the subject of God's choosing His people. And Paul wants us to see the spiritual blessing of God choosing us before the foundation of the world. And please don't lose sight of this. Please don't lose sight. One of the greatest spiritual blessings that God has given to any one of us is that He chose us in Christ before the world even began. He chose us to be holy And He chose us to be blameless before Him. And again, I know this topic often sparks debate about the relationship of of God's sovereignty and of man's responsibility or the will of man. But today my objective is not to create division. My objective is not to um, create any conflict in our church. I don't want us to become like the, the group of theologians who were discussing the tension between election and, and free will. And things became so heated that the group broke up into two opposing factions. But one man, not knowing which to join, he stood for a moment trying, trying to decide. And, and at last he decided that he was going to join the predestination group. And who sent you here, they asked. And he replied, well, nobody sent me. I came of my own free will. And the group looked at him and said, free will? How is that possible? You can't join us. You belong to the other group. So he followed their orders and he, he went to the other clique. And there someone asked, when did you decide to join us? And the young man replied, well, I didn't really decide. I was, I was sent here. And they said, sent here? You can't join us unless you have decided by your own free will. That's a joke, Okay. <laughs> You guys are a tough crowd today. <laughs> but pray with me that we would come to the Lord with submissive hearts to his word today and that we would ask the Lord to open our eyes to the truth that that the natural man cannot understand and allow the spirit of God to develop our theology from the Bible itself. That he would allow us to understand and develop our theology from the Bible itself. So let's continue our basic training this afternoon with a look at these three verses. My first point today we see in verse 4 is that God chose us to be holy and blameless. God chose us to be holy and blameless. Let's start at the very beginning. There in verse 4, the scripture says, "...even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world." So the Greek, ver- the Greek verb translated chose there in the text means to select or pick for oneself or elect. That's what it means. That's where we get the word election from. God picked us for his own purposes for himself. And Paul begins listing our blessings in Christ by stating that God chose us and he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In other words, our salvation is totally and completely a result of what God has already done for us. And if you are a Christian here today, if you have been born again, if Jesus is your your Lord and he is your king, it is only because God chose you before the creation of the world. And that is what is known by theologian, theologians as the doctrine of election. And this week while I was meditating on this true thinking of a way that I could explain this, I was reminded of when I was back in primary school when, when we would pick teams in order to participate in some kind of sport or competition. I'm sure many of you remember those days and, and maybe not too, too fondly. Remember, a couple of kids would be um, chosen as captains, and then they would proceed to pick the other kids that they they wanted on their team. And for some of the kids waiting to be to be picked, it was a miserable time as they prayed against all hope that they wouldn't be the last ones picked. But while I was in boarding school, there were there were five of us who did everything together, and we really were the the best of friends and. Whenever we lined up, we knew that if one of our friends was the captain, he was going to choose us. We kept choosing each other because we knew each other's strengths. And when we played together in the same team, we would always always end up winning. So we always picked each other so that we would play and win together. But that is not the way that God chooses. That is not the way that God chooses. God doesn't look at us. And pick out the best or the brightest or the most athletic. In fact, his choice is not based at all on any of the qualities in our lives. Verse 4 says clearly that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, he chose us before we were born. Before we existed. Before we could do anything. Now, some people might argue that God based His choice on His foreknowledge of whether certain people would choose to believe in Christ. In other words, God chose us because He knew that we would choose Him. And this is where the the struggle is, the tension is between God's sovereignty and man's free will. But again, let me draw your attention to verse 4. God chose us before we did anything, before we were born, before anything that we could do to merit God's selection. And again, this may be the reason we we choose certain people to be on our teams or we choose choose certain people to be in in our company, but this is not the way that God chooses. If God's choosing us was based on His foreknowledge, that we would choose Him, then He didn't really choose us at all, did He? Rather, He only would have responded to to our choosing Him by then choosing us. And if God did choose like this, it would be a denial of His grace. Because then our salvation would be based on something which we did, something which we earned. But Scripture is clear that salvation is totally by God's grace, Grace is unmerited favor. We we talked about that last week. Grace is receiving what we did not deserve. God's salvation. What we did deserve was hell, but God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus. God's plan of salvation does not depend on the choices of fallen sinners. God's plan of salvation depends on His purpose. It depends on, on His glory. Again, I know this teaching can lead to disagreement and arguing. But consider what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to see here. He wants us to see that this truth is a matter of praise. It is a matter of great comfort in the Christian life. Why? Well, recently I met with two men in our church and I had lunch with them. And both of them at different times shared that they were struggling with the assurance of their salvation. And both discussions were about their eternal security, whether or not we were or they would lose their salvation or not. The one man said to me that he wasn't sure that if he was to, to die today, if he would be allowed into heaven or not, even though he was trusting in Christ. He wasn't certain. He wasn't sure in his salvation. And as we spoke it was this realization, a realization that Paul begins to, to press on us here in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, that caused the light of peace to, to break into this young man's heart. You see, for a lot of people, there are certain things that they, that they think they have to do in, in order to get God to save them. They think that they have to do certain things that their faith or, or, or repentance are conditions for. And they think that God would only love them if they are lovable. And both these men thought that God would love them if they first loved God. And here is Paul breaking in with this message to us. He's breaking in with this message to to all Christians who first heard this letter, that just as as God has blessed you with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, so you also need to know, Christian, that from before the foundations of the world, God set his love on you. Before you could do anything, before you could love God, he loved you. While you were yet unborn, not even a sinner, Christ loved you. He did not choose you because of something that you would do. You, you chose him Because of something that He started from the foundation of the world. This is a response of His love towards us. This truth is a matter of praise. It should be. It's a matter of great comfort in the Christian life. This is God's salvation. It's not our salvation. If it was our salvation, we would be able to lose it. And I ask my wife, there are many things which I have lost, that belong to me, that I get very upset about. Things that I have chosen, that I have selected, that I end up losing. If our salvation was up to us, we would lose it. But because it is God's choice, we cannot lose this salvation. God has chosen us for himself. This is quite clear from Scripture. But the second part of this verse tells us what he has chosen us for. In Jesus, we have been chosen to be holy and blameless, the Scripture says, in His sight. And although there is an aspect of that choosing which calls for us to live lives that are holy and and pleasing to God, you'll notice here that the main point is that our holiness and our blamelessness is, is in Him. And I challenge you, every time you see that word, in Him, In chapter 1, underline it, put a circle around it. In Christ, in Him, through Him. He mentions it many times, making this point that this is because of Christ. It's not because of us. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be holy and blameless before God. And that we can fulfill God's election. This should be a matter of great comfort. This life of holiness and Blamelessness is not dependent on our abilities. It's not dependent on our pedigree. It's not dependent on our parents' teaching abilities. This life of holiness and blamelessness is not dependent on our abilities. This lifestyle can only be achieved through God's grace. This, the scriptures are telling us today that is only through Jesus Christ that we can be holy and blameless before God. And we can fulfill God's election, selection. And so much more I'd love to say about that. And maybe we can have more discussions of that during the week in our, in our home groups. Please join us for this as we study the this, this subject even, even further. But let me share two verses with you to help explain. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, we already looked at that as we studied this this passage last year. But let me remind you of a passage in chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Just after the book of Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says to the church, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay. Well, Paul is commanding his readers here to do what? To work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out my own salvation? But then verse 13 says, well, it is God who works, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, so which one is it? Am I to work out my own salvation or is it God who works out my own, my salvation? Well, there's, there's no dichotomy here, folks. There's our responsibility and there's God's sovereignty working together. Working together. In the very next verse, he says that it's God who works in us that gives us the desire and the ability To be holy and to be blameless. God gives us these desires. God gives us the faith that we would trust in Him. God gives us what we need. He gives us the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin so that we can be holy. That we will repent of our sins. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working together. God's election or His sovereignty or or man's will or responsibility, both are together. There's no tension in God's mind. God has chosen us, but we're still responsible to respond when it comes to the call of the gospel. My second point we see in verse 5. God predestined us in love. God predestined us in love. First of all. Let's look at the very first words at the end of verse 4 and in the first part of verse 5. He says, in love he predestined us. And then in verse 5, it says, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So the New American Standard Bible says it like this. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of... Of his will. I like the way that is translated according to the kind intention of His will. But notice here again, Apostle Paul gives us this doctrine of election as a matter of comfort, as a matter of joy to the Christian. And Paul is saying that your whole life and the way that you worship will be reorientated by an appreciation of the, the loving and kind. Predetermination of God he is drawing our attention to the fact that that God has before the foundation of the world chosen all those who rest and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and he draws our attention to the fact and to who is doing this and how he is doing it in order to force upon our hearts this this amazing comfort this tremendous comfort and the apostle paul is saying that god's love for you did not begin when you believed him when you believed in him for the first time the apostle paul is saying that god's love for you began before the foundations of the world that god the father set his heart upon you before creation folks before you were born. And please see Paul's emphasis here. This teaching shouldn't lead to to arguing. It shouldn't lead to division. And Paul wants us to see that this truth is a a matter of praise. It is a matter of great comfort in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul is, is mentioning this because he wants you to know that God has set his love on you. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, for salvation, Paul is wanting you to know that God set His love on you long before you trusted in Jesus, long before Jesus Himself came into this world. In fact, His love was set on you from the foundation of the world before there was space, before there was time, before this, this, this orb that we live on even existed, before the solar system was, was created, before the universe came into being, Eons and ages ago, God set his love on you. That is his emphasis here. And Apostle Paul is saying, Christian, I want you to realize this. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand the depth of this. That there has never been a time in the history of the universe when your name was not on the heart of God as one of his beloved. That God has not existed any time in which His love was not set upon you. In other words, God's love for you is from before the foundation of the world. It is co-eternal with Him, His love for you. You know, we, sing, we sang that song at um, our Christmas potluck. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but, but he is strong. You know, we don't sing that at church, and we should. It's a hymn. It's a hymn with deep meaning, folks, that Paul is trying to impress upon our hearts here. If you're a Christian today, it's because God loves you, <laughs> because God has chosen you, not because of something that you have done. God in his grace, despite what you have done, has chosen you. To be his child. The Apostle Paul is saying that this is a tremendous encouragement to us. It's not something to argue about, it's something to fall down on our face and praise God for. Why would God choose me, a sinner, an undeserving person like me? Yes, the Lord has has loved you from the foundation of the world. I, I don't know why He chose you, I don't know why He chose me. One day he might tell me, but right now it's not for me to know. All we can rest in, the answer he gives us is according to the kind intention of his will. I didn't deserve God's grace. I didn't deserve to be adopted into his family. I deserved hell. He chose me because of his kind intention of his will. You see, this point that this action of predestination should help us to understand is the love of God. That God is extremely kind. He is extremely generous. More so than we deserve. This is God's love displayed. It doesn't take away from from God's glorious nature in any way. It tells us, time again, and clearly as we can say it, that God really is a God of love. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to say a second thing. He explains what we have been predestined to. Not only that God has set His love on us from before the foundation of the world, but what He has set His love on us in order to accomplish for us that we have been predestined. You see it there in in verse 5, to adoption as sons to Himself. To adoption as sons to himself. So, here again, Paul wants us to rearrange our Christian life. He wants us to reorient our our thinking. He wants us to to rethink and reorient the way that we give thanks and the way that we praise the Lord by appreciating the, the privilege of being welcomed into God's family, appreciate the privilege of being adopted into his family. When last did you praise God for the lavishness of His grace in your salvation? When last did you do that on your own? When last did you thank the Lord for saving you, adopting you into His family? I suspect that for some of us, we don't do that enough because we think there's something that we've done in order to earn God's salvation. God really should be thanking me for being such a good person. But when we understand that it's not about us, it's all about God, we praise Him and we thank Him for the lavishness of His grace upon us, undeserving sinners. Paul here uses a wonderful word to help us understand what has happened here. Paul is using the word adoption here very intentionally to help us understand this kind intention of God's will by the way the adoption as sons notice here it doesn't talk about daughters it talks about sons the way adoption as sons includes daughters as well okay but in the in the in the greek roman world adopted sons were the were the were the people who received full share in their inheritance. The the daughters didn't have any legal rights. It was the sons who received these rights. The sons were taken legally into this new family, and they assumed all the the rights but also the responsibilities associated with that particular family. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, to brothers and sisters in Christ, you have received the adoption as sons. In other words, girls and boys, sons and daughters— Receive these rights and responsibilities. There's no chauvinism happening here at all. We all share in the inheritance of the elder brother, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all now part of the family of God once we are adopted into His family with all the blessings that go with it. I don't know how many of you know people who've adopted children... And the blessings that go with that and the gratefulness these children show. A wonderful picture right here of God's grace. God predestined to us in love. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. You know, a wealthy businessman could adopt some, some poor children from an orphanage and give them everything that, that money could buy. But what if that businessman were too busy with all of his work and all of the many enterprises that that he was involved with to spend any time with the child? Well, no no doubt their their physical condition is, is better than it was when they were in the orphanage. But every child craves to know and be loved by their parents, don't they? And notice here, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself. Not just so that a transaction could take place here, so that we could have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. God not only bestows on us all the wealth and all the spiritual blessings in Christ, he also brings us into an intimate relationship with Christ. Where we can now call upon God the Father as Abba. Abba, Father. Abba was a was a Hebrew term of endearment, which, which meant daddy or, or, or papa. And the glorious truth is that we can draw near to his, his loving arms and know that he will receive us, that he is our father, and we are his children. Adoption emphasizes our new relationship with our heavenly father. Look at Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me, if you would. Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verse 15, Paul writes about the reality of our adoption. He says in chapter 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And the picture here that Paul is, is is painting for us is that we've been moved from the status of slaves to that of sons and daughters of God's promises. Sons and daughters of God's blessings. Presently, we enjoy all the privileges of being members of God's family. Presently. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. The Apostle Paul is saying that God made you His child. And you receive a full share in all of these blessings which belong to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. All of the benefits of our elder brother. But notice, he not only tells us what we are predestined to, he tells us who we were predestined in. Notice the next words in verse 5. Through Christ Jesus. Back in Ephesians chapter 1. You see, the Christian life and the Christian praise is realized and enjoyed and given and received only in Christ. Jesus Christ. We can never truly appreciate God's grace until we get this biblical perspective on God's amazing grace and our sinful depravity. The depths of our sin in which God rescued us. You know, I remember thinking that I heard an illustration of, of how the Titanic smashed into that iceberg, and all of the people jumped off the iceberg. And then our salvation was like the helicopter that would fly over and, and throw us these, these life belts, and we would swim towards the life belts, and we would be saved. For me, that was a, a picture of God's grace. But I heard a better illustration that helped me really understand the depths of my sin from which God rescued me. How the Titanic. Smashed into that iceberg. The iceberg sank to the bottom of the ocean with me inside there. And while I was dead in my sins, while I was rotting in the bottom of that ocean, my flesh decaying, God reached down to the bottom of that ocean, lifted me up, and gave me new life. I did nothing. I didn't swim towards any life belt or any buoy or anything. It was God's grace who took me out of the depths of my sin, the depths of my darkness, and gave me new life. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins. We were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were children of of wrath. And to use the adoption analogy, we were not clean. We We were not well mannered. We were not these these bright, attractive children with, with great potential when God picked us for adoption. Rather, we were dirty, we were defiled, we were disobedient, we were disrespectful, we were defiant. There was nothing in us to draw God towards us. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were spitting at Christ, Christ died for us. While we were persecuting Christ, He died for us. While we were rebelling against Him, He died for us. There was nothing well-mannered, attractive that Christ decided To choose us and pick us for adoption. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing in us to draw God towards us. We see in verse 4, God chose us to be holy and blameless. We see in verse 5 that God predestined us in love. The kind attention of His will. And then in verse 6, my last point. God's purpose for predestination is His glory. And verse six, goes, verse 6 goes all the way back to, to verse 3, showing that all of God's spiritual blessings in Christ lead to the praise of the glory of His grace. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then skip to verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace... With which he has blessed us in the beloved. What was God's purpose in setting his love on us from before the foundation of the world and adopting us as his children and giving us all the, the benefits and, uh, of this inheritance and enabling us to exercise saving faith and being united to, the, to, to his Holy Spirit? What was God's purpose? What was God doing in all of that? Well, verse 6 tells us. Verse 6 tells us. He was exalting His glory. He was exalting His glory. Look at the words, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Listen to them again. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters to the praise of the glory of His grace. Why were we predestined unto salvation? Why were we predestined unto adoption? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. And the Hebrew word translated glory has the the literal meaning of of weight. And and points to God's worthiness, God's reputation and God's honor. And the Greek word comes from from a word meaning to to think or, or to seem. It has the idea of God's reputation. His glory is the revealed splendor of His attributes or His, his presence, of, of His nature. And here Paul focuses on one attribute that draws out our praise, the glory of God's grace, His undeserved favor. That should lead us to praise, folks. If we mix any of our merit, if we mix any of our works with His grace, we pollute it. And we detract from his glory. We want the glory. We want the credit. And it pollutes God's glory. One commentator says, We never truly glory in him unless we have utterly put off our own glory. Whoever glories in himself glories against God. Romans three twenty three tells us, For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. The essence of sin is to fail to glorify God. The essence of sin is to fail to glorify God. So the main goal of our salvation then, which depends on God's choosing and predestining us, should be To bring glory to God. Where we boast only in Him. And Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians if you would. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Some of you may recognize the name Joni Erickson. When she was 16 years old, she put her faith in Jesus and she was born again. But when she was 17 years old, she was involved in a diving accident that left her paralyzed. She had fractured between the fourth and the the fifth vertebrate and had become a quadriplegic, paralyzed from, from the shoulders down. And in the initial stages of her recovery... She, she stewed in sorrow and self-pity, and for a time she sank into, into depths of darkness and despair and depression. But over time, she became convicted that her condition was, was God's will. And God did not mean for her to resent it, but rather to accept it, to embrace it, and to use this for His glory. Well, she learned to paint with her, her mouth, with a paintbrush stuck between her teeth, and she began selling her, her artwork. She also started writing books on voice recognition software. And she's still alive. And today she has written over over 40 books about God and his character and his grace. She's recorded several musical albums singing God's praises. She's spoken to millions of people and she's led many people. To faith in Christ. She has even starred in an autobiographical movie of her life, and she still advocates for people with disabilities. But I heard an interview that she did, and she was asked, if she could ask God to do one thing differently, what would it be? And her answer was, nothing. I wouldn't change anything. She could have said, well, I would ask God not to have made me a quadriplegic. She could have. But she said nothing. I don't want God to change anything. She went on to say that if she had never had that accident that day, that she she dove into the the river, she would never have the ministry that she, she has today. And that she would never be able to speak to so many people about her glorious Savior and His amazing grace. And she went on to say in her interview, God used that to change my life for my eternal good and for His own glory. And that's exactly right, isn't it? That's, she understands exactly what, what Paul is telling us tonight. If we understand God's amazing grace, we would be praising Him with all of our lives. Every situation that He puts us in. We would be giving Him the glory. We would be looking to Him, not to ourselves. This is a life reorienting truth, folks, that everything is for God's glory. And Satan will whisper in our ears that that God is not worth living for. And that is the worst thing that can be said about our, our glorious God in all of the world. And God is saying there is going to be a multitude that no man can number, Men and women, boys and girls from every age, from every tribe, from every tongue and nation, who are all at the last day, going to stand up and they're going to say in in Satan's hearing, yes, he is worth living for and he is worth glorifying forever. And the Apostle Paul is saying to us now, while we're alive, Live for the glory of God and give to Him the glory due to His name. Relish in His salvation. In a sense, this message this evening is is primarily for those of us who, who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. And when we understand just how blessed we are to have been chosen by God to be holy and blameless, through Jesus Christ, when we realize that our destiny is to be part of God's family and that God takes pleasure in that, when we comprehend that God has poured all of His grace into our lives, how can we help but humble ourselves before Him and give Him the praise and the glory that, that He deserves? But maybe you're here tonight and you've never made that decision Well, you know, people that haven't made that decision. And maybe you're asking, Am I one of God's chosen? Well, I believe the very fact that you're asking that question is is evidence that God is drawing you to himself. We love God because he first loved us. We would never want God's love upon us if he never loved us first. If you're questioning that this morning, this evening, Consider the fact that God loves his children. If that's the case, don't leave here tonight before talking to one of the elders, talking to me. And let us show you from the word how you can know for sure. We'll be happy to talk to you about how you can become part of God's family too. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, grant us ears to hear and hearts to believe and lives that flow out of the glory of your everlasting love. Lord, help us to relish in this wonderful truth that we see in the Scriptures, that you loved us before time. You adopted us as children. You made us joint heirs, united us to Jesus. You did this for the praise of your glory. And you manifested in it, oh God, help us, Lord, to relish in these wonderful truths this week. And for the rest of this month, Lord, may our salvation bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.